Good evening and welcome again. We are very grateful that you have chosen to be here tonight for the concluding night of our gospel meeting. We are very happy to have those of you who are visiting. We've had a number of visitors, as Brother Dio said just a moment ago, throughout the week. And for that, we are eternally grateful. We appreciate so much those of you that have been a part of our meeting throughout the week. Those of you that have been here every, for every service, we are especially grateful to you. And we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are always happy for the opportunity to be together as God's people, to worship God in spirit and in truth. I appreciate Brother Billy leading our singing this week, the opportunity to literally lift our voices in praise to God, the prayers that have been offered. And I am, as I have said throughout the week, honored to be a part of this gospel meeting. And I really do appreciate the opportunity to stand before you to present the Word of God, and it is my prayer that what has been said thus far throughout the week has been helpful or beneficial to you. And I would encourage you, it may be the case that you have questions or comments about something that has been said or done here throughout the week. If that is the case, please feel free to ask me or one of the elders or any of us here at Olive Branch. We would be more than happy to do everything that we can to give you a satisfactory answer to any question that you might have. I want to also say that I am very honored to have the opportunity to preach here from week to week. And I am humbled to have the opportunity to preach the Word of God, to declare it, and my goal is to preach the Word of God in its whole council, and I am very thankful to our elders and their support and their encouragement, and I am very appreciative of this church, and if you are looking for a church home, I would invite you to consider the work here. I know that I am prejudiced, but I do believe that this is a great church, and we're not perfect, but we are trying to the best of our ability to make known New Testament Christianity in this community, to be supportive of one another. After all, we're all striving for the same thing, and that is we want to go to heaven, and we want you to go with us. And so having said that, tonight I would call your attention to the gospel according to John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 12, verse 48. In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. There are last words, last chapters, last books, last series, and last days. Today is the last day of our gospel meeting. But there is a greater last day that looms before us in the future. And that last day, according to the scriptures is the judgment of Almighty God. I want us to think for just a moment or two about what the Bible has to say concerning the last day. And the first thing that I would call your attention to as we think about the last day are the choices before us as we contemplate the judgment. You see, you and I, we have choices that are made every day and those choices will continue to be made until either the Lord comes or death takes us from this 
earthly veil of existence. We make selections on a daily basis. Some of the choices, the selections that we make in this life are very minute. And then there are some choices that we make that we have to give a lot of consideration to. We have to weigh them very carefully. Well, I would suggest that when it comes to our decision as it relates to spiritual things, that this is by far the greatest, most important choice that we will ever make. And so there are a couple of things that I want to ask you as we think about these choices that are made prior to the judgment. First of all, I want to ask you, what do you think about Jesus? Now, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked a question on one occasion. He said, what do you think of the Christ? You and I, we need to give serious consideration to this question. What do we think about Jesus? And ultimately, I would submit unto you that what we think about Jesus will have a tremendous impact on where we spend eternity. What do you think about Jesus? If someone were to meet you on the street corner and say, what do you think about Jesus of Nazareth? What would you say? If someone were to ask you, what do you believe about the Christ? Again, what would you say? Was Jesus simply the carpenter's son that is spoken of in Matthew chapter 13? You remember the question that was asked on one occasion, is, is not this the carpenter's son? Was Jesus merely a lowly carpenter's son? Or maybe Jesus was some kind of social reformer. After all, Jesus was, was concerned about the social and the physical needs of mankind. Was that his purpose in life? There some would say that he was a great preacher, a noted prophet, but nothing more. And then there are some that might conclude that Jesus was nothing more than a fraud. But then there are statements made by men like the Apostle Peter, who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Matthew chapter 27, we read of Jesus as he is put to death on Calvary's cross. And the text tells us that one of, one of the centurions, one of the Roman centurions, that was present on that occasion, drew this conclusion. He said, truly this man was the Son of God. And so, what do you think about Jesus? If someone again were to ask you, what do you think about him? What would you say? Do you believe that he is indeed the Son of God? But there is a second question that I believe that we must answer of equal importance. And that is, what will we do with Jesus? You remember Pontius Pilate during the trial of our Lord asked the question to those who were assembled, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? May I ask the question to you tonight, what will you do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? 
There are really only two answers that we can give. Number one, we will either be receptive to Jesus and his word, or we will reject Jesus and his word. Listen again to what Jesus said in John 12, 48. He that rejects me and receives not my word. We have to decide what we think about Jesus. And then it is absolutely imperative that we make the decision, what are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God? First of all, there is the possibility that we could choose to be receptive of him. And this really entails two things. Number one, we must accept Jesus and the truth. And there is a correlation there. You cannot separate the two. They are intertwined. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What about Jesus? I asked a question a moment ago. What do you think about Jesus? What are your conclusions? You remember what, you remember what John the Baptist said concerning Jesus? This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember Jesus when he identified himself to the woman from Samaria at Jacob's well when he said, I am the Messiah, that is the Christ, the anointed one? Do you recall when Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John 8 verse 12? Or I am the good shepherd in John 10 verse 11? I am the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11? I am the true vine? Or do you recall Jesus saying, I am, that is, Jesus is the great I am. John 8 verse 58. What we think about Jesus will ultimately lead us to decide what we're going to do with him. Those who demonstrate wisdom will accept Jesus and his truth. I think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He said, Whosoever heareth these words of mine and doeth them, him will I liken unto a wise man. When you hear about Jesus and you draw the right conclusion and you examine what he has said in his word, the conclusion ought to be, I need to follow him. Now, again, we talk about accepting Jesus and his word. That means accepting everything Jesus says in his word. It means accepting everything that is recorded in his word about him. When we talk about his nature, his character, his deity, Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There are a lot of people, they might conclude Jesus was a good man. He was a humanitarian. He was interested in social causes. He was a tremendous preacher, but he was not the son of God. Jesus said, unless you conclude that I am the Son of God, you'll die in your sins. It's absolutely imperative that we believe that he is who he claimed to be. And then we talk about what the Lord had to say relative to becoming a follower of him. 
In John chapter 3, we read of Jesus being confronted by Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler among the Jewish people. He was a Pharisee. And the Bible says he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do the signs which you do unless God be with him. I do not believe that Nicodemus at this point in time in his life had drawn the conclusion that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus then said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked the question, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus then said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He went on to say, Marvel not, I say unto you, You must be born again. Accepting Jesus and his truth. Jesus came to establish a spiritual institution known as the church, the kingdom of God. In John chapter 18 verse 36, when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and was asked the question, Are you a king? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. Is Jesus a king? Absolutely. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, He is the king of kings and lord of lords. If you are a king, you have to have a kingdom. The kingdom, however, that Jesus came to establish was not physical or material in nature, but rather it was a spiritual institution. Jesus said in Luke 17, at verse 20, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. That is, the kingdom of God is not a material entity. It's not a physical entity. It's not something that you and I can... can take a surveyor's compass and, and, and draw out with geographical boundaries. It's not like that. It is a spiritual institution. Well, what about accepting Jesus and the truth? Accepting everything that Jesus says in his word. The Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be in his kingdom. Because it's in his kingdom that he has reserved every spiritual blessing known to man. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is in Christ Jesus. When we are immersed in water and that immersion is preceded by faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of sins, confession of his name, we are then added to the kingdom of God, the church of the living God, the church of Christ. The ecclesia, the community of the saved. And you and I need to be in the community of the saved because, because the Bible says Jesus, as the head of the church, is also the Savior of that same body in Ephesians 5.23. I don't want to be outside of Christ, nor do I want to be outside of the church of Christ. Because salvation is in Christ, those who are in Christ are in the church. Those who are in the church, they're in Christ. That's what the Bible says. So we must first of all accept Jesus and the truth and then we must abide in the truth. And the emphasis here is on honoring what Jesus said while we live here upon this earth. In John 8 verse 51, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever keeps my word shall not taste death, shall not see death. And the idea is as long as we are walking, 
in harmony with the will of God, as long as we are, as the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, walking in the light, we maintain a close-knit relationship with the Lord. And we're not going to see spiritual death. That is, we're not going to face the second death that John wrote about in Revelation chapter 20. And so we want to abide in the truth of Almighty God. Those who abide in the truth of God, they maintain those tremendous spiritual blessings that are referred to over and over again throughout the New Testament. Now, the second possibility that we have is that we could reject Jesus and his word or his truth. To those who have yet to name his name, to those who may not be living faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ, my question is this, why? Why have you not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why are you not living faithfully for the Lord? Is it because you don't believe he's the son of God? Is it because after assessing this book that we call the Bible, your conclusion is he was a great person, he was a tremendous humanitarian, he was interested in social causes, he was a loving being, but he was not, he is not the son of God. Or do you believe him to be the son of God? You just have not honored him with obeying his will. What is it that's holding you back? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it pride? Is it prejudice? What is it that is keeping you from obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you are here tonight and you are not faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ, my question would simply be this. Why are you not faithful? Why are you not living as the Lord would have you to live? I began by asking the question, what do you think about Jesus? The second question, what are you going to do with Jesus? A terrible thing to say no to the Savior. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word. No stronger statement can be found in Scripture. Can you imagine people rejecting the Son of God? I think sometimes we think about that from an abstract standpoint. We think about it in vague terms. But, but to really come to really come to understand, we have said no to the Son of God. We have said no to the God of heaven. We have said no to the redemptive plan. We have said no to what the Holy Spirit has inspired in his word. So, we're faced with questions every day. None more important than what you think about Jesus and what you're going to do with Jesus. I want you to think with me in the second place about the criterion that will be used at the judgment. And I submit unto you tonight that the criterion that is going to be used on the day of judgment is Scripture. In other words, we're talking about this book that we call the Bible. 
This is the book that's going to be opened on the last day. Listen again to Jesus. He said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him at the last day. You and I are going to meet this book in eternity. I want, to, I want you to think with me for just a moment about the standard which is the word. There are a lot of people that have some misconceptions about the judgment. And I think that there are a lot of people, unfortunately, that have been led to believe that we're going to be judged on the basis of something other than God's word. Or maybe something in addition to the word of God. Well, Jesus said, we're going to be judged according to his word. Jesus also said in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. It is imperative that we understand that on the last day, God's word will be opened. In Romans chapter 2, at verse 2, the apostle Paul said, We know that the judgment of God is according to truth. In Romans 2 verse 16, Paul said, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men according to my gospel. So we're talking about the word of the living God. We're talking about the gospel, the truth. All of those terms are synonymous. They point to one and the same. That is the word of God. And you and I are going to be judged on the basis of this book. Now let me just pause here and make this observation. When we stand before Almighty God on that great and final day, the last day, there will not be one creed opened. There are a lot of creeds that have been penned by the hands of men down through time. There have been individuals who are very sincere, who are genuine, who in no way would I ever impugn their motives. But they have written man-made creeds. Those creeds are either in addition to the Word of God or in subtraction to the Word of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6, we are not to add unto His Word. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, John, before he laid aside the pen of inspiration in the latter part of the first century, said we're not to add to the word of God, nor shall we take from it. We're going to be judged on the basis of what God in his word has recorded. And so, we're not going to be judged on the basis of the creeds of man, nor shall we be judged by the manuals of faith that have been written. We're not, going to be, we're not going to be judged according to any modern day catechism or any catechism that was written hundreds of years ago. And let me just make this observation as well. When we talk about authority in matters of religion, the authority does not rest in the church. The authority rests in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. In Matthew 17, verse 5, God the Father made this statement about his son. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. 
Whatever Jesus has to say, we need to hear it. Not only do we need to hear it, we better hear it. We better make sure that we are following the words of the living God. Why? Because Jesus said we're going to be judged on the basis of this book. Now I want to just pause here and make a couple of of statements. When it comes to the salvation of your soul, I would humbly plead and beg you, make sure that what you are doing, religiously speaking, is found in this book. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he would say in the long ago to hold fast to the truth of Almighty God. We are to abstain from that which is evil, that which is not good, and hold fast to the truth of God. What we need to do is cultivate within our world a spirit that was set forth nearly 2,000 years ago among the Bereans, where it was said of them that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Why is it that I emphasize this? Because, listen, we're going to be judged on the basis of what this book says. It doesn't matter what I think or what I say. Now, granted, I have every right to draw my own conclusions. My conclusions may be wrong. They may be right. You have the same right and privilege. But ultimately, we need to make sure that whatever we believe and whatever we practice, religiously speaking, is found in this book that we call the Bible. We need to make sure that we are honoring the words of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, good people, religious people, honest people, some of the best people that you'll ever meet this side of eternity that will say you don't have to obey the gospel to go to heaven. And what they're saying is you don't have to be baptized into Jesus Christ to go to heaven. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16. He said, He that believeth, number one, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved, number three. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Jesus again said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I want you to please listen very carefully. That's not my interpretation of what Jesus said. I did not embellish what Jesus said. That is called a quotation. Do you think Jesus Christ knew what he was talking about? What a question. He has all authority, Matthew 28, 18. We are to hear him, Matthew 17, verse 5. How would the Son of God not know what he was talking about? We're talking about deity here. Baptism stands between a sinner and salvation. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, verse 38. Can you imagine somebody standing up on Pentecost Day and waving the Apostle Peter down and saying, Wait a minute, Peter. You've got this all wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Peter was an inspired apostle. Did Peter know what he was talking about? 
If there is such a thing as the sinner's prayer, may I humbly ask why Peter didn't just give it to those people assembled in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? You see, the fact of the matter is salvation stands between the sinner and salvation. It stands between the sinner and the remission of sins. In Acts 22, 16, the Bible says, and this is Saul of Tarsus, Paul, as you and I know him, recounting his conversion to Christ, and he said, Ananias said to him, And now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is not sprinkling. It's not pouring. It is immersion in water. It is where a person goes down into the water and they come up out of the water. There's a figure of speech that we call synecdoche, which simply means a point that, rather a part that points to the whole. Every part is essential. Now sometimes people will say in Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. And they'll say, well, Jesus didn't say, he that believeth not and is baptized not shall be condemned. Well, Look, if you don't believe, that's sufficient right there. Hebrews 11:6, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. If you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, you don't have to worry about anything else. You are condemned. There are a lot of people that will oftentimes bring up the thief on the cross. What about the thief on the cross? People will say, well, he wasn't baptized. Well, number one, there was a baptism that preceded the baptism of the New Testament, that is, the baptism of the Great Commission. It was John's baptism. It was a baptism unto repentance for the remission of sins, according to Mark chapter 1. And John the Immerser baptized people. And in Matthew chapter 3, we read of those who dwelt in Jerusalem and Judea and the region round about the Jordan going to John the Immerser and being baptized by him, confessing their sins. Who's to say the thief on the cross wasn't baptized according to the baptism of John? A second thing to remember is this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 at verse 10, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus was deity. He was the Word who became flesh. He had the power to forgive sins on the earth. He's not on the earth anymore. A third thing, and really this is, this is really it in a nutshell. The thief on the cross died under the Mosaic dispensation. We live under the law of Christ today. We're going to be judged on the basis of the law of Christ, according to James chapter 2, Galatians 6. It's called the perfect law of liberty in James 1.25. What Jesus did, he left us his will in Hebrews 9, verse 15 through 17, and you can read that sometime. That will took effect after the death of Christ. Today, Jesus regulates his, his will, his word, through what we call the Bible. So the thief on the cross, a completely different situation.
than what we're talking about today. So, number one, have you been baptized into Jesus Christ? A second thing I would ask you is this. Have you been baptized into Jesus Christ and are you a member of the church that you read about in the New Testament? I know that there are a lot of people in this world today that will tell you one church is as good as another church. But you and I, we know that Jesus only promised to build one church, Matthew 16, 18. He's only the head of one church, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Now, if there's only one church and those who obey the gospel are added to that one church, then that means only the saved are in the church. It may be the case, and, and please do not take this the wrong way. It may be the case that you can find your church in the yellow pages. But what I want to ask is, can you find your church in the New Testament? That's what matters. To make sure that your church is something you can read about in the New Testament. What we're talking about is very serious. We're interested in the souls of men and women. In no way would I ever want to appear haughty or arrogant or condescending, but I, I do want you to know it matters. The only way that you and I can have unity in our world today, as far as I can see, is by taking the Word of God and following it as our only standard of authority. You see, if we just have the Bible, then we're only going to have New Testament Christians. But if we have the Bible plus something else or minus something else, well, we know where that leads. So, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed what you can read in this book? Are you a member of the church that you can read about in this book? If not, I would humbly beg you tonight to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I said that the standard is the word. But I want you to think with me for just a moment about the seriousness of this word. There, there are a lot of people, and it, it really is a sad commentary on our society. There are a lot of people that when it comes to truth, when it comes to the Bible, are illiterate. We place a premium on people knowing the fundamentals in the realm of education. You can't function if you don't know how to read, to write, to add, to subtract, to use basic logic. Listen to me very carefully. Why is it we place a premium on things like reading and writing and arithmetic, but when it comes to the Word of God, we lay it over to the side and we say, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 16, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. If you don't know what this book says and you're going to be judged by it, do you not think it is imperative that you spend some time in this book? I mean, after all, God is going to judge you on the basis of the contents of this book. 
He's not going to open a creed. He's not going to open a manual of faith. He's not going to open a catechism. He's going to open this book. When John pictured the revelation in Revelation chapter 20, he said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before, before the throne, before the throne of God. He said, and the books were open. He's talking about the Bible. Those who live, those who have lived under the old covenant, they're going to be judged on the basis of the old covenant. Those of us who live today, we're going to be judged on the basis of the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. John said those books were opened. Now, if somebody asks you, do you know that you are a New Testament Christian? If you can't say absolutely or I don't know, do you not think you need to spend some time in this book? If somebody asks you, are you a member of the church that you read about in this book and you say, I don't know? Does it not stand to reason you need to spend some time in this book and find out what you need to do to become a member of the church that you read about in, in the Bible? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. If you and I think that we can get to heaven on less than obedience to the will of God, we are sadly mistaken. Jesus said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't I prophesied in your name, by in your name, cast out demons, and in your name done many mighty works? And Jesus said that he will respond by saying, depart from me, you, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Our entrance into the kingdom of God is predicated on our willingness to submit to the word of Jesus, to do his will. There are a lot of religious people that have done a lot of good things in our world. But if they haven't done the will of Almighty God, Jesus said, I will say to those people on that final day, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It's imperative that we do what Jesus has outlined in his word. I would bet if you don't know what this book says, you better be studying. You better be reading. You better be meditating on the truth of Almighty God. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, that one of the byproducts of spiritual growth in this book is an ability to discern between good and evil. John in 1 John 4 verse 6 talks about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How are you going to know truth and error, right and wrong, good and evil, if you don't know this book? The fact of the matter is you can't. You need to spend some time in this book. You need to be like the psalmist of old who meditated in this book both day and night. Psalm 1 verse 2. Thirdly, what about the commencement of the judgment? In other words, when will the judgment begin or start? Well, the judgment is going to occur when Jesus comes in all of his glory with his holy angels, according to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, beginning. And the Bible says he will be seated upon the throne of his glory. Now, here's a question. What about the advent of Jesus? When is he coming? Do you know? There are some people that seem to think they know. There are some billboards that 
seem to be pointing to May of 2011. But Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man. Not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Matthew 24, verse 36. I said a moment ago, Jesus has all authority. Matthew 28, 18. We're to hear him. Matthew 17, verse 5. So if Jesus said, not even the angels of heaven know when he's coming, if he's coming as a thief on the night, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, how, pray tell, can somebody tell us that he's going to come in May of 2011? The fact of the matter is, he's not, he's not coming at a time when we think he's coming. He's coming like a thief. When do thieves break into homes or businesses? Do they give you a telephone call and say, by the way, I'm going to stop by about 10 tonight and pick up your, your big screen TV? They don't do that. They don't, give you, they don't drop you a note in the mail and say, just wanted, to know, wanted you to know that when, while you're on vacation, I'm going to stop by and pick up a few things. They don't do that. They come when you're least expecting it. Well, when's Jesus coming? When you least expect it. Now the Apostle Paul said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Have you ever heard the voice of an archangel? I've never heard the voice of an archangel. Have you ever heard the trumpet of God? And that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following. I've never heard the voice of an archangel. I've never heard the trumpet of God. The Bible says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Some have said that's the noisiest verse in the Bible. John said that when Jesus comes, every eye shall see him, and they also who pierced him in Revelation chapter 1. His coming will be visible and audible. Jesus said, marvel not, the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Those that have done good will come forth to the resurrection of life. Those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. When Jesus comes, let me tell you what's going to happen to this earth as you and I know it. Peter said that when Jesus comes, the earth is going to be destroyed. He said it's going to pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. And the earth and the works therein will be burned up. There are some beautiful landscapes across this great nation and across the country that you and I love. There are some very scenic places around this globe. There are beautiful buildings that from the vantage point of architecture unsurpassed. There are a lot of fine things that people have done and made in this world, but let me tell you what, there's coming a day when all that's going to be destroyed. Everything that you and I see visibly, it's going to be gone. When Jesus comes, we are going to be ushered before his throne. Let's think about the assembly before Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 27, that the Father has given him authority to execute judgment. In Matthew 25, Jesus said when he comes, he's going to be seated upon the throne of his glory. And who do you think is going to be there? He said all nations, Matthew 25, verse 31. 
In Acts 17, verse 31, when the Apostle Paul stood before the people in Athens, Greece, and he talked about the judgment, he said the world will be there. All nations, the world, but let's make it more personal. You are going to be there. I will be there. How do I know that? Because Paul said in Romans chapter 14, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said, For we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me tell you what. There are things in this world you may not like to do, and you may excuse yourself from them. You may get up one morning and decide you're not going to work, you're not going to school. It may be that you have a date with somebody and you say, I've decided I don't want to go, I don't want to attend, and that's your prerogative. But when it comes to the judgment of Almighty God, you cannot and you will not excuse yourself. You'll be there, whether you like it or not. And you'll bow in the presence of Jesus Christ and you will confess that He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You'll confess Him. You'll confess His name before Him. We're going to be there. Now, when you stand before the Lord, if you have not obeyed the gospel, what do you think the Lord's going to say to you? If you're not living faithfully, I'm talking about if you're not living like you ought to be living, what do you think the Lord will say to you? There is there will be the assigning of destinies by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said that he will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There will be some who because they have obeyed the gospel, because they have sought to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will hear those welcoming words. You ever thought about all the people that will be in heaven one day? Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he was going to prepare an eternal abiding place for us. Peter describes it as an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. He said it's reserved in heaven for you. There are going to be a lot of people there. There are going to be friends and family members there. And to think that you and I can sit down and visit with them throughout all of eternity. What a great thought. The flip side of that is not so good. Jesus said that he will say to those on his left hand, those on his left hand are those who have not followed him. They've not honored his name. They've not rendered obedience to his gospel. They've not lived for him day in and day out. And here's what he's going to say to them. Depart from me, you cursed. Listen to him into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for you. There was an article that appeared in the Tennessean April the 2nd of this year. That article was mailed to me this week. And the article, the gist of the article was that there was a, a gentleman that was going to be speaking at Belmont University. And he took the position that what the Bible has to say about hell is not true. He says it's not consistent with the nature of Almighty God. Let me tell you what. 
the very same book that tells you about an eternal hell tells you about an eternal heaven. If hell is not eternal, then neither is heaven. How do I know that? Because the same book says that. Read Matthew 25, verse 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. You can't have the one without the other. The Bible speaks definitively about the subject of hell. At the onset of this lesson, I asked the question, what do you think about Jesus? The second question that I ask, what are you going to do with Jesus? There's a third question I want to close with. We're talking about the last day. Please listen very carefully. What will Jesus do with you? We talk about what we're going to do with Jesus but I want to ask you tonight, what will Jesus do with you? Some years ago, one of the fads was to wear a bracelet. Remember that bracelet, W, W, what would Jesus do? Remember that bracelet? A friend of mine said that he knew an individual that died. When he went to visitation, he said that when he walked over to the coffin, he noted that bracelet on this fellow's hand, what would Jesus do? And he said the thought occurred to him. It's no longer what would Jesus do, it's what will Jesus do? The question that I ask you tonight, what will Jesus do with you? Not your neighbor, not your mama, not your daddy, not your brother, not your sister, not your husband, not your wife, not your children. What will Jesus do with you? What's he going to do with you? If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to close tonight by saying tonight is the night. Paul said today is the day of salvation. It may be the case you've been thinking about obeying the gospel all week long. Listen, why, why wait any longer? Do it today. The Hebrew writer said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, let me tell you what. Tonight is the night to get your act cleaned up, to straighten your life up. You know what you ought to be doing. You know how you ought to be living. You know how, how you ought to be living as a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, whatever. You know. The key is just do it. John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To those who are unfaithful, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will, ab will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.